Good morning. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. For 2,000 years, Jesus' followers have given that message to each other on this morning and throughout the year. Can you imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago this morning? 48 hours earlier on Friday morning, the city had woken in a panic. It seemed like all of Jerusalem had poured into the courtyard outside Pilate's palace with a focus and a fury that seemed inappropriate for Passover. Maybe it was the number of people who were involved. Maybe it was just the early hour of the morning and the Romans hadn't had their coffee yet. Maybe everybody just got caught up in the moment but in a matter of minutes, the crowd had cried out for a murderer to be released, and they had called for the execution of Jesus. In short order, Jesus had been brutally beaten, paraded through the streets of Jerusalem to a hill outside of town, and literally nailed to two pieces of wood. The one who had come to, into town five days earlier to a hero's welcome who had been worshipped as the next king of Israel, had now become an object of scorn, suspended in the air where people could gawk at his exposed, battered body. He died a grisly, gruesome death, and his body was placed quietly in a rich friend's family tomb, a kind of a cave that had never been used before. About the time that Jesus died, there had been an earthquake in Jerusalem. And the people of Jerusalem, I think, on Sunday morning were already trying to figure out what the priests were gonna do because that thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the Jewish population had been torn in half at that point in time. Passover was done, but Jerusalem was still flooded with people. The city was five times its normal size and population. And everybody was talking about what a crazy week it had been. Their expectations for Jesus had been so high. And then disappointment had taken over. Disappointment had become anger. And the anger had shifted almost to hatred. When the city had gone to bed after celebrating Sabbath, it had been, I think, with a sort of resignation, almost an acceptance that nothing was ever going to change. And that the coming of the Messiah was just simply a pipe dream. One of the biographers of Jesus' life describes that morning this way. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. 
1969, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book about the five stages of grief that a person goes through when someone that they know or love closely dies. The first stage that she described was the stage of denial. You deny that the person has actually died. Often, um, someone, when they get the news, will say, no, you've made a mistake. That can't be. That cannot have happened. Denial is followed by anger, and the, and the grieving person lashes out. They, they'll say, you know, it was the doctor's fault. Uh, how, could that, how could that idiot run that stop sign? How could they sell that person a gun? Um, the third stage after, after that denial, after the anger, is bargaining. God, can't you just take me instead? If, if you'll just bring him back, you know, I'll build a hospital uh, in his memory. I, 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 I'll, 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 do, I'll raise money for research for that disease. The fourth stage she described is depression, where a person thinks, you know what, I don't know that I can go on. I, I don't know that life is worth living without this person that I love being close to me. And the last stage is acceptance. You come to a place that you, that you recognize that life will go on, that there still is purpose in each day, that even though that void is very real, that hole is huge, there's still purpose to your life. I think the disciples, those people who knew and loved Jesus, went through those stages of grief that weekend. I, I, did, I think that they didn't believe that things could happen the way that they had, even though Jesus had told them they would. I think that they were angry, angry with the religious leaders, angry with Judas for betraying Jesus, angry with the mob who had called for the release of Barabbas rather than Jesus, angry with the soldiers who had beaten Jesus so severely, and angry with themselves for not stopping it all. I think they probably tried to bargain with God. God, can't, can't, can't we do something instead? I think that their depression was overwhelming Friday night, all day Saturday, and when they woke up Sunday morning. Had they really wasted three years of their lives following Jesus, and now he was dead. They were so sure that he was the Messiah. They had seen him heal people, raise the dead. They had seen him feed thousands, calm storms, and walk on water. How could he do that if not for the power of God? How could they have been so wrong? As the women we just read about experienced new stages when they encountered an empty grave that morning. I, I, I think that they did. That there was a new set of things that happened. There are stages that I think are probably universal for us when we face the empty grave on Easter morning. The first thing that they experienced was confusion. They were filled with confusion. Mark says that when the women approached the tomb with spices with which to anoint the body of Jesus, they had no idea who was going to roll the stone away from the mouth of the tomb. When they got there, the stone was already rolled away. The guards were unconscious or gone, and Jesus' body wasn't there. They didn't know what to make of it. Luke says that they were wondering, trying to determine what had happened. And at that point, fear took over. As they faced the empty grave, they were filled with fear. An angel appears, and, the, and these women go face down in the dirt. Pilate had stationed guards at the tomb to make sure that the body of Jesus wasn't stolen. 
But what the women encountered, as they saw the angels, was way worse than anything that Rome had to offer. Their fear was overwhelming. And the angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. They're confused and afraid, but the angel provides an answer for them. Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. You know, it's not that unusual to face an obstacle, a, a dilemma, uh, a challenge that's so overwhelming that, it, that it, it leaves you feeling confused and afraid. You get a pink slip at work, you get a diagnosis of a disease, you experience an arrest. And when you look back at that event, you realize later that the answer was right there in front of you all along, staring you in the face. It was so clear, but you missed it in the moment. You didn't grasp it at all. That's what happened to the women. They heard the words of the angel. They had the head knowledge. The words made sense, but it just didn't compute. It didn't match their expectations. It didn't, it didn't um, make any sense to them. How can a person rise from the dead? Maybe, maybe you're here this morning because your parents made you come. Or your spouse said, please, for Easter, would you just come to church with me this one Sunday? Or maybe you're here because you're curious. You've always wondered what the big deal is about Easter. And this year you thought, you know, I think I'll check it out. And you, and you listen as we talk and as we read, but you think this whole idea that a body could raise from the dead, that Jesus could raise from the dead, it's a little bit too much to accept. Jay Warner Wallace is a homicide detective who specializes in solving cold case murders. He's been featured on Dateline and has received a number of awards for his analytical work that resulted in convictions on cases that no one else had been able to figure out. As an atheist, he decided to look at the facts and the claims surrounding Jesus' resurrection in order to prove it false. As he studied the case and applied his special set of skills, he came to a conclusion. The only reasonable explanation of the facts is to accept that a supernatural event happened and that Jesus rose from the dead. He wrote about his analysis and conclusion in his book, Cold Case Christianity. If you're interested, when you leave today, we have an abbreviated version of that book that we'd love to give you. It focuses on the facts of the case as he saw them, his conclusions, and why he reached those conclusions. We were able to buy enough copies for one for each family, so stop by the kiosk, the Connect kiosk, just right outside the door on your way out, take it home, and read it this afternoon you'll find how, how he dealt with the evidence surrounding the claims for the resurrection for Jesus. And then you can determine what you do with that knowledge. That's what happened to the women on that Sunday morning. The angel said, he is risen, just like he said he would. And Luke describes something remarkable. He says this, then they remembered his words. They were confused and afraid they heard the words of the angel, but then they had an aha kind of moment. It's, it's like that moment in time where the pieces fell into place and all of a sudden everything made sense to them. Their answer wasn't just in their heads, 
it penetrated their hearts and began to change their lives. They remembered Jesus' words. Three different times Jesus had told the disciples he was going to rise again. In the region of Galilee, he had said, the son of man, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he's going to be raised to life. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus had said, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, just a few nights earlier, he had told his disciples, after I've risen, I'll see you in Galilee. They remembered what he said. His death wasn't a tragedy, it was a triumph. The empty tomb wasn't a mystery. It was the fulfillment of what Jesus had forecast. The fear and confusion that they experienced, they were their issue, not Jesus's, because Jesus was alive. As they remembered what Jesus had told them, the light switched on. Jesus' resurrection was no longer an academic exercise. It wasn't even an issue of faith. It was a reality. John tells us that moments later, Mary is walking through the area and she encounters a man that she thinks is a gardener, a caretaker in the garden. But when he spoke her name, she realized it was Jesus and he was alive. He is risen was no longer just words. It was the moment that changed everything. They would never be the same, none of them. The aha moment for one of the disciples, for Thomas, a man named Thomas, came a week after the resurrection. He hadn't been there on that Sunday evening when Jesus showed up to the other 10 disciples. And Thomas, because he wasn't there, didn't believe it. John records it this way. He says, the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I can't believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That aha moment is why we're here this morning, why we gather to celebrate Easter. It's not just the conclusions of a cold case detective. It's not just the account in the gospels that calls us to come and celebrate. It's the reality that the resurrection has the power to change our lives. Jesus is alive, and because of that, we have hope and courage and peace. We can face COVID or bankruptcy or tragedy or disease, even death, 
knowing that there is life on the other side. We can have a right relationship with God, not because of anything that we've done, but entirely because God came to earth and became a man because he lived a sinless life and became the perfect sacrificial lamb and that he took our sin on himself as he was crucified and turned the world upside down when he rose from the grave three days later. This last week, Jake Redmond had his aha moment. Jake's a friend of mine who told me that I could tell his story this morning. Jake's been a skeptic all of his life. He's had a long list of reasons why, why one religion was as good as another, why he didn't need to give his life to Jesus. He wasn't convinced that Jesus was the only way to have a relationship with God. And he'd seen a lot of people who claimed to be followers of Jesus not act like it. About a year ago, we went skiing together. And on the way home, we had a conversation about, about his perspective and all the objections that he had to becoming a Christ follower. He knew that Jesus was a real person. There were just still so many things that he couldn't buy into. But he could see Jesus working in his life. He knew that God, God's hand was doing things. We talked about all of his objections, all of his distractions, all of the things that kept sidetracking him. And that maybe it made sense to stop focusing so much on the distractions and instead focus on the main event, how much God loved him. And he's been doing that for the last year. The more he's seen Jesus working in his life, the more convinced he has, has become that his life was too much of a train wreck to say yes to Jesus. He knew who Jesus was, but he knew what his life was like. He knew he wasn't perfect. He still had issues. And yeah, Jesus was working, but he, he just kept saying, I've got to clean stuff up in me first before I can say yes to Jesus. This past week, he came to a conclusion. He said, I really need to fully trust Jesus. I need to accept that he is who he said he is. I can't do it on my own. I need him to be my savior and my Lord. So today, after the 11 o'clock service, Jake's gonna be baptized into Jesus. He's gonna experience the promise of a new birth. And you're invited to be a part of that baptism. If you wanna come back about 12.15 today and be a part of that and celebrate Jake's aha moment, we'd love that. If that's a step that you need to take to make Jesus Lord of your life this Easter morning, the water's gonna be ready. We'd love to have you take that step too. From confusion and fear to hearing the answer but not getting it to an aha moment, that really is kind of the path that most people experience who know and love and give their lives to follow Jesus. Initially, it doesn't make any sense. And then when it does begin to make sense, it creates this sense of fear because you think about how much will change if you choose to follow Jesus. The answer's there. You know it's there. But it takes some time before all of a sudden all the pieces fit together. There's one more element that happens when you choose to follow Jesus, though, that the writers tell us about on that resurrection morning. In Luke 24, Luke writes this. 
When the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, to the 11 disciples and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What had happened that morning? Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, told others about their aha moment, how it all fit. They couldn't help it. The news was too good to keep to themselves. And nobody believed them. The disciples had the answer. They were just as confused and just as fearful as the women were earlier in the morning. And now the answer didn't make sense to them. They were going to have to have their own aha moment. So Peter and John ran to the tomb to check it out themselves. It took them some time, but they got it. It took Thomas a week, but then he got it. And once they got it, they couldn't stop talking about Jesus and his resurrection. Did everyone believe them? Not hardly. And even when they were threatened with death, did they recant? No, they couldn't stop telling the story of the resurrection. We have a North Point family who's lived out this empty tomb experience over the last six months. Last fall, all four of them tested positive for COVID and three of the four recovered within a week or two. But the father, he was one of those cases where his symptoms grew worse and worse. He went on a ventilator and into the ICU. Two different times, two different times, the doctor told his wife to prepare for his death. Was she confused, fearful? Absolutely. They know Jesus and believe in the power of the resurrection and the power of prayer. They knew it, but it didn't seem to match the reality of what they were experiencing. God, in a way only he could, saved his life. While in the hospital, he lost 80 pounds from COVID. But he was released and able to come home to see his family on Christmas Eve. About six weeks later, he was strong enough to come to church, and he told me, Easter is gonna be crazy this year because I was dead twice but came back to life. I'll tell anybody who will listen because it's only by the power of God that I'm here. He can't stop talking about the new life that he has because of Jesus. This past Monday night, his wife was admitted to the hospital with a kidney blockage. Her blood had gone septic and she was in grave danger. That night, she said that she had a near-death experience and said, I'm pretty sure I saw the face of Jesus. Here's her text last night to me. Yesterday they said, I, I wouldn't be out before Tuesday. Today I told them I was ready to go home and I was gonna be home by the end of the day. I was feeling better 
and believed that the Lord had healed me. They looked at me like I was crazy, but they did all their labs and ran all their tests. And guess what, Pastor Rick? We serve a resurrecting Savior. It's 9.40 p.m., and I walked in the door of my house 30 minutes ago. Praise the Lord. When I asked her if I could share their stories this morning, she said, she said, absolutely. This is all for his glory. The question for you, for me, is what do we do with that? What do we do with the resurrection? What do we do with the reality that Jesus is alive? Have that aha moment, that call to give your life to him completely.